morning. Greet each one in greet each one in Christ's name this morning. Thank you for being here. If you're visiting, welcome. Worship with us. Thank you, Arlen, for leading those songs. Um, what a day that will be, amen. Uh, what a glorious day. Let's bow for prayer this morning. Lord, we come before you as we come into this time where we seek your face and we we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us in our innermost heart from your word. That you would guide us, guide our thinking, guide our, guide our lives, Lord, by, by what we read in your word. And help us to be encouraged this morning. Lord, we have an enemy that would want to discourage us, so we ask, Lord, that you would encourage us. And uh, we ask, Lord, that you would Receive all the glory for the service this morning uh, throughout each part. We ask that you be with those in Elkhart, be with those other places. Lord, we ask that you would meet your people wherever they gather today. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I, uh, <clears throat> I'd like to present... Uh, the enemy, our enemy is real, we know this, and our God is real too, but he has, our enemy has a, a trick, one of the oldest tricks um, of his trade is to bring us doubt, and um, <clears throat> I'd like to speak about this morning and how we can recognize that and how we can combat that, and we sang a song, uh, as we were singing, I thought, oh, that's right down the line of what I'm thinking this morning. It was a, an old song, uh, 488, and it said there that in the second verse it says, many times Satan whispers, there is no need to try. There's no need to try. For there's no end of sorrow. There's no hope by and by. That's Satan's whispering. And then the songwriter goes on and says, But I know that thou art with me, and tomorrow I will rise where storms never darken the skies. And that's what I'm talking about this morning, is Satan tries so hard to discourage us. And how can we recognize that? From the very beginning, creation, God created, and Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they're, they're there with in our minds, we're thinking everything is perfect. They have all that they need. They're living in the garden. It's a beautiful picture. They're fellowshipping with God. They're fellowshipping with each other. They have all their needs met, and yet Satan comes in. He enters that picture, the enemy, and he pulls out one of his most devastating weapons, and he pulls out doubt, and he fires that arrow into Eve and says, did God really say that? Did he really mean that? And Satan, by the means of a creature by, called a serpent, he comes and he casts doubt on what God said. We can wonder, Eve, what were you thinking? Why were you even listening to that? You had so much going for you. The goodness, why would you ever question the goodness of God? And yet she did. It says that the enemy was more subtle than any creature. And that word means more crafty, more cunning. He was a sly one, and he came and he 
gave that question in her mind to cause doubt. And he's perfected his craft from then until now. He's perfecting it even today. And he wants to use it on us. He wants to bring discouragement through doubt to us. To hinder the work that must be done. Jesus said there, he has given us a mandate. Things to do in his kingdom. And, and, and Satan is about to discourage that by, by bringing in doubt. The disciples are caught on a stormy sea. In one place, they were, Jesus was asleep at the bottom of the boat, and they, were, they didn't think they were going to make it. They doubted then. Another time, they were on the sea and rowing furiously, and they were getting nowhere. And it says that Jesus came walking on, on the sea, and he would have passed by them, and Mark it says. They're caught on this. They're, they're in a real predicament. They don't, they don't think they're going to make it. They're weary and they don't think they're going to make it. And they're doing just what Jesus had told them. Have you ever been in that? Jesus, I, I'm doing what I feel you're telling me to do, and yet I'm in this predicament. I'm making no progress. I'm losing ground. They're out there rowing because Jesus said, you go on the other side. I'm going to, I'm going to go up to the mountain to pray. So they're doing what, what Jesus has asked them to do, and yet they're not making any progress. And it's looking really bad. The storm is bad. And um, Jesus comes walking on the water. And there's so much going on. They're toiling, they're weary, they're bailing water. They're trying to, and now they think what they see is what, what they see is a ghost bobbing up and down on the waves of the water, and it's Jesus walking past them. What, what a night. And then Peter, Matthew records that Peter somehow. Peter swings his leg over the end of the boat and he's walking on the water. I imagine the other disciples were stunned. I'd like to read that account a little bit. In Matthew 14, if you'd have your Bibles, turn with me there. Matthew chapter 14. Peter is now, he says, if it's you, then ask me to come. And Jesus says, come. And out the boat he goes before they could stop him. Matthew chapter 14, and uh, we're going to look in verse 25. Matthew 14, 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, so it's, it's late night or maybe it's early morning by now, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. Just imagine that boatload of men, terrified, not only because of the storm, but now this spirit is walking out there and we, they can see him. I heard one pastor saying, with the waves as bolsters as they were, there would be times when he'd be on top of a wave and then he'd go down into the trough. They probably, it was just, they were terrified. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter said unto him, answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee into the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter came down out of the ship, he walked on the sea, on the water, to go to Jesus. What, what an amazing thing, the power of God for Peter. 
and everything's looking wonderful, glorious. Jesus is giving him the ability to walk on, this, on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and he began to sink. He cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Satan saw Peter getting out of that boat and he fired that arrow of doubt. He took his eyes off of Jesus and he began to sink. How many times do we look at the circumstances in our world and we begin to sink? Doubt comes in. I, I just don't know if I'm going to make it. But Satan, somehow, he slipped in that, that, that thing of doubt. And Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. Little faith, big doubt. Instead of big faith and little doubt. And he began to sink. And when they came into the ship, Jesus pulled him up by the hand and they walked back to the ship together. When they came into the ship, the wind ceased. And they that were in the ship came and worshipped, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Doubt. I don't think it was just Peter doubting at that moment. I wonder if they didn't all doubt. But when they saw Jesus for who he was, they said, Truly, thou art the Son of God. Then Jesus later goes into a trial, a, an illegal trial, condemned and crucified. And these same, these same disciples are devastated. Here he was our Savior. He's the one that... that that bolstered us up and we walked on the water and here he is being crucified and again the enemy pulls back that arrow of doubt. And what does the scripture say? In Mark 14 it says, and they all forsook him. <clears throat> they all forsook him and fled. Doubt. When do we turn our backs and flee? Maybe it's not such a big tumultuous as a stormy sea or a, or, a, or, or a trial, a crucifixion or anything like that. Maybe it's just the general worries about the economy or COVID or elections or job or families or church. And on and on it could go. Health. What are the things we fret about that Satan says, aha, here is some soil that I can throw an arrow of doubt into. Places where doubt can grow. And the cares consume us. We worry about things. And we become what Jesus called the thorny ground where the cares of this life choke out the word. We become, we end up being unproductive for the kingdom because we've taken our eyes off Jesus and we begin to sink because doubt has come in in whatever form that may be. Whether it's doubting God, doubting his goodness, doubting his ability, doubting whatever. Some sort of doubt. If you're still in Matthew, let's turn back a couple chapters to chapter 6. Chapter 6 of Matthew. He's preaching the Sermon on the Mount here. 
thinking about worrying about us, worrying about things of this life, he was pretty, pretty uh, straightforward here. In uh, chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus here speaking says that, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought of your life, what you shall eat or drink, nor for your body what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body more than the, and the body than raiment? So he, he's, I, I, can't, I can't fathom going through life and not thinking about those things. We, we, that's what we live for. We have our jobs so that we can buy food and clothes. Sometimes we're consumed by that. But are we worrying about that? Is it consuming us? Or is it secondary? This is what I have to do to live. And everything else is focused on God. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much more, much, excuse me, are ye not much better than they? Which of you taking thought can add a cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought of raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which, is, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? O ye of little faith, little faith and big doubts. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall I eat, or what shall we drink? Wherewithal shall, we, wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things for itself. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. The idea is that when we worry, when we fret about these things, then that is a sign that there's doubt coming into our lives. It's his favorite arrow. And he'd want to trip us up. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Especially, it's his favorite arrow when it comes to doubting our salvation. Have you ever wondered, am I really saved? Some of us struggle with that maybe more than others. What does it take to, for you to doubt your salvation? I don't doubt God's ability to save. I, there's no question in my mind. He is able to. Maybe it's more that I doubt his willingness to save someone like me. Me? Why me? Why would God use someone like me of, with all my brokenness and all my faults? And yet the scripture is filled with promises of I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it's filled with abundance of declarations of God's love towards us. And yet we doubt. God loves the world. He got, God loves you. God loves even me. And yet we doubt. I don't know if any of you face those times. We walk through a valley of darkness, spiritual, spiritually where God seems to be far away. 
And then the enemy gets busy and he sends those arrows our way. You see sunshine, but it's on yonder mountain and it's not in my valley. There are numerous negative thought patterns that we can go into. And maybe for each one of us it's different. We allow ourselves to be drawn into that. I have three points of where, where doubt seems to come to us more often. And I'd like to also present a, the, the weapon that we can use against this doubt. Doubt comes to us when life is really hard and God seems distant. Life is just really hard and God seems far away. Doubt comes to us when self gets in the way. When we, the, uh, what I was saying in about that, I, I think God can save, but what about me? That's a selfish motive there of, I look at myself and self gets in the way and we block God's love. I don't even, go, I'm not even gonna receive it because I don't think I'm worthy. And then when the enemy shoots us with that, poisonous doubt, just a pure wave of doubt. Um, there's sometimes that the, maybe there's nothing in myself that's, but it just comes and there's a, there's a doubt that comes. Is God really real? Ephesians says that above all, above all, take the shield of faith wherewith ye are able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Faith is the, the, one, is the shield that, that causes the doubt, that stops the doubt, the arrow of doubt coming. When life is really hard, when life is really hard, doubts can come. When there's a time when, when, when we have a blow in our life that just knocks us off of our feet. We know of, we, we pray Wednesday evenings, often we pray here for those that, have cancer. We, there's several in our lives right now on our, on our prayer list. A blow that knocks us off of our feet. Or the sorrow of loss, death. A blow that knocks us off our feet. And then Satan, in, in his wickedness, comes and he shoots that arrow of doubt towards us. We need to get that shield of faith up. There are other people in, in the world that, that are in prison because they're, they're Christians. Just reading an article about Burma, Myanmar, of how the Christian in in 1921, two years ago, the the government started going back to the old ways of of ratifying uh, eradicating Christianity. They say they're a free religion; they're, they're free religiously, but you can only practice your religion on your property in your church. And you can't go out and evangelize or you'll be put into prison. It's those times that we need. When, when, we, when we are in really hard times, we need extra protection from the enemy's attacks. And if we're not careful, we doubt the goodness of God. It's in those times that we need to see that God really is unchanging. And he has a purpose. He doesn't change. He's not fickle. It's the world around us that's stormy and boisterous, but he is unmovable. His purposes remain constant, and his goal for you remains constant. His love is undaunted, undaunted by our humanity. He doesn't change. One day he is not for us, and the next day he's against us. That's not, that's not the God that we know. 
there's a constant thread in God's, that God has had, and this is, this is what I want to say is our, I want to call it our sledgehammer for the walls of doubt. From the beginning of time, he has wanted his children to declare his glory to the world. And that is the weapon that we can use against doubt. He has a job for us. He doesn't want us to fail. And that is to, 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 to declare his glory to the world. The children of Israel were the first ones that he wanted to do that, to, to make God known in the world, to declare his glory. To Pharaoh, he said, I raise, this is, they weren't, they weren't accomplishing it. So to Pharaoh, he said, I raise thee up to show thee my, my power that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. That's what God is about. And he's, he's asked us as his children to do that work, to declare his glory to the world, the goodness of God. And when we do that, it, it breaks down those walls of doubt. Ephesians 2. I'd like to turn to Ephesians 2, if you would, please. Turn to Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 10, he created us for this work of declaring his name, of declaring his goodness and his glory in all the earth. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says there that, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Created unto created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Created unto good works. I've heard it said or inferred that Anabaptists are just all about good works. No, no, we're, we're about being in Christ. And the good works, that's God's thing here. He has created us for that. And if we strive to properly understand that when we are in Christ, then the good works come flow out of that. It's not works that saves us. It's the being that saves us. But God is about good works. And he says here that he's created us. We're his workmanship and he's created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Then it starts making sense. His, the purpose of that is to bring him glory. And in Matthew it says, let your light so shine that men may see your good works. And do what? and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's how God receives the glory, is when we work for him in his kingdom, doing those things that the world doesn't understand, the good works, whatever that may be in your life. He has ordained that we walk in. That's how we live. We live that way. We walk in them. The rest of this chapter is full of just wonderful truths about us being in God and in Christ. How does God want us to live? He wants us to live working in his kingdom, doing good works. Young ladies, young men, all of us. That's what God wants from us, to bring himself glory. So it may be on a construction crew. It may be at PWI. It may be on a mission field, foreign or local. But we're bringing glory to God. And we should, our cry should be, God, what can I do today to bring you glory Show me, God, 
what I should do to bring you glory today. And that's how we, how we combat those, the enemies uh, trying to cause us doubt. It says in verse 12 here in, in, in um, Ephesians that, that there were times when we were aliens from the... It's talking about Israel and, and Gentiles. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now Jesus, who ye, in Jesus Christ, ye who are sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. That's what he can do for us. And we can bring him glory. He ends chapter 3. So he takes people who were broken and far from Christ, and, and he brings them nigh by the blood of Christ, and he puts them together like he has us here today in a church. And he calls us a church, his body. And in, verse, in chapter 3, he ends that chapter in verse 21 by saying, Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. That's how we bring God glory. When we come together as a body of believers and give him glory, God wants his glory displayed, and he accomplishes that by saving people and then having those people tell others about himself, and that brings glory to him. That's the sledgehammer that breaks down the walls of doubt. In Chronicles, it says, Sing unto the Lord, O all the earth, show forth from day to day his salvation, Declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works amongst all the nations. That chapter goes on different places, and it talks about give unto the Lord, uh, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord glory due to his name. That's what he's all about. Do you ever struggle with doubt? Are there walls of doubt in your life? Take the sledgehammer of giving God glory. Declaring his glory in those walls will cr crumble. When life is hard, doubts come. Give him glory. What, what has he already done in our lives? Life may be hard. Maybe I don't understand what's happening, but, but what has he already done? Give him glory for those things. First of all, he's done the impossible. He's saved us, broken people, and he's saved us. And now his agenda is for us to now declare his glory. Do you think he's going to allow that agenda for all the world to know his glory to, be, to fail? I don't think so. That's why that's the weapon that we can use. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to, to come out of those ashes and be something beautiful in our lives because he wants his glory to be displayed. And number two is when we, when we allow ourselves to get in the way of God's love speaking into our hearts. I know God is big. Maybe this is a thought pattern. Maybe you've had. I have had my own, my own life. But how can he use broken people like me? And then the scripture reminds us that God's ways are not our ways. And we look on the outside, but he looks on the inside. And that we shouldn't lean to our own understanding. In Philippians, it says this, being confident in this, 
of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in us, in you, will perform it unto the day of Christ. He started a good work and he will finish it if we allow him to. This kind of, this kind of doubt may be one of the more destructive kinds of doubt because it's centered on myself. I look at myself and I don't think God is able, I doubt that God is able to fix someone like me. It's a selfish way. It's almost like a, we start telling ourselves we don't deserve God's love. We push it aside. We even reject it because we doubt that God is able to. It's almost like a reverse pride and those walls are thick and we need the sledgehammer of proclaiming what God is doing. That's why one of the, one of the things that I think is powerful here at our here in our church is when we have testimony time, and if God's working in your life, share it. That's declaring his, his glory, giving him glory, acknowledging that God is working in me, or I see him working somewhere, and little by little we chip away at the doubt. Another wave, uh, another point is Number three is the wave of doubt. And I just have some scripture verses here. You, maybe you've had that pure doubt where you even doubt that is Christianity really, is it real? Is God real? There's so many voices out there. James says, but let us ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea Driven by the wind, let, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. A double-minded man, double man is stable in all his ways. In First in Kings 19, we have the story of, of Elijah. Just coming through the, the time when he defeated the prophets of Baal. And he, and he escapes into the wilderness. If you remember that story. Great victory. And he's running for his life and he collapses under a juniper tree. And he says, it says there that he requested unto himself that he might die. So discouraged. What? I have no idea why. You'd think he'd be just pumped. But he's discouraged. Satan saw an, an avenue to shoot an arrow of discouragement his way. And he just wanted to die. Have you ever had discouragement like that? It's real. It's real. But God encouraged him. He said, no, you are not alone. There are more, there are more that are following after me. They have, not, they have not bowed the knee. Don't be discouraged. God has other ideas. David, in times when it seems like it couldn't get worse, he cries out to God and God hears him and protects him. Why does God do that? Why does God come into our lives and speak into our hearts? Because he wants us to declare his glory. He doesn't want us to be defeated. He doesn't want us to be to be taken advantage of. He wants us to glorify him. Above all, take the shield of faith and have a big shield of faith to protect us from the, from the fiery darts of the wicked one. In um, Paul, um, I didn't write down the chapter here. Oh, it's in, it's in uh, Ephesians 6 where he's talking about the shield of faith. That's where it is. Taking the shield of faith wherewith 
you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Earlier, just earlier than this, Paul speaking, uh, three verses later, I should say, three verses later, this is what Paul says, speak, thinking of, of the doubt that can come when we lack faith, when we don't use our shield of faith, and those arrows of, dar- of doubt come our way. We need to declare the glory of God. Paul says, use the shield of faith in verse 16. In verse 19, he says, and for me, pray that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly. He's declaring the glory of God. Open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And I'm declaring this morning that with our shield of faith and our, and our utterance of the, of, of the mystery of the gospel, the fact that Jesus came to save us, Making that known, boldly making that known, is how we overcome the doubt that Satan would want us to to fall under. So this morning as a church, let us commit ourselves to, to, to declare the glory of God openly and use it as a weapon against doubt. In this coming week, as we have opportunity, we have Bible school children coming. Give them, show them the glory of God. And remove their doubt that there is a God. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you and we know, we know our weaknesses. We know that we are weak and you are strong. Help us, Lord, to, to cling to you. Thank, for, thank you for the times that you reach out and pull us up when we start to sink. Give us, Lord, a vision of how we can bring glory to you, how we can honor you by giving glory back to you. Give us boldness to proclaim the gospel, boldness to speak of the things that you've done in us, and help us, Lord, to use our shield of faith, we pray in Jesus' name.